0: We're continuing with a sermon series that we began last week through the book of Jonah. Last week we had a look at just the first five verses and we read how God called his prophet Jonah to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, which was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, the Assyrians being a violent, godless people who were the enemies of Israel. But instead of obeying God's command, Jonah attempted to run away from God. Instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah headed for Tarshish in the opposite direction. Instead of going over land, he headed out to sea. Instead of going east, Jonah went west. And we saw too that this isn't simply a story about Jonah. It's a story about you and it's a story about me. Because in contrast to our opening hymn that says we never wander away, sin in essence is us running away from God. And grace in essence is God chasing after us, hunting us down in love to save us from our self-destructive behavior. And it's in fact that second theme that we're going to have a look at this morning, God running after us. And we're going to pick up the story in Jonah chapter 1 uh, from verse 4 until we reach the end of that chapter. God's Word says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. This is God's word to us. So up until this point, as we've said, we've been looking at Jonah's journey away from God. And you may have noticed that it was a downward journey. The writer told us in verse 3 that Jonah went down to Joppa to catch a a ship. Here in verse 5, we're told that Jonah went down to the bottom of the ship, below the deck, presumably to try and hide from the face of God, and he even goes to sleep so that God can't enter into his conscious thoughts. One writer has pointed out the irony of God's prophet being asleep below deck while there's a prayer meeting going on above him. But we saw last week that God's ability to seek us and to find us is always greater than our ability to run away and our desire to hide from Him. God's ability to find us is greater than our ability to get lost. And so God decides to get Jonah's attention. I wonder if God's methods seem a little bit unorthodox to to you. Uh, We're quite familiar with the stories of Jesus calming the storm, but here we read of God stirring up a storm. Verse 4 The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. In his book, The Prodigal Prophet, Pastor Tim Keller points out that every act of disobedience to God has a storm attached to it. Every act of disobedience to God has a storm attached to it. The the Bible doesn't say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring us into difficulty. You know, we can't treat our bodies however we want and still expect to have good health. We can't treat our marriage partner however we want and expect to have a good marriage, We can't treat people however we want and still expect good relationships. God has ordained life to work in a certain way. When we go against God's pattern, it's like planing against the wood and life fragments. There are consequences. And this is certainly true in the life of Jonah. The storm comes about because of Jonah's disobedience and rebellion. But we also need to be careful here. Not every storm that comes into our life is due to disobedience. Uh, Certainly, if I'm experiencing difficulties in my relationship or my work or my finances or my health, it's probably important to pause and search my heart before God and see where I might have contributed to the storm. But most of the time, most of the time, the storms that we experience have nothing to do with us. Uh, look at the sailors in this passage. The storm that the sailors are experiencing isn't due to their sin, it's due to Jonah's sin. I think that's very important to recognize because often the first question that we ask when storms hit us is this, what have I done to deserve this? And mostly the, the answer is nothing at all. Sometimes we suffer due to the sin of other people Sometimes we suffer due to living in a fallen world, sometimes we may suffer due to demonic activity, but mostly we don't even know the reasons for the storms in our lives. The amazing thing is, though, that God can use the storms of our lives to bring us back to Him, even the storms that we have created for ourselves. That is the beauty and the strength of God's grace in this chapter, as we'll see. For example, a man becomes addicted to alcohol, he loses his job, he loses his wife, he loses his family, he hits rock bottom, and in that place where he recognizes his own frailty, where he recognizes his inability to look after his life, where he recognizes his dependence on God, he encounters God. He wouldn't have encountered God at all had it not been for the storm, which ironically created for himself. Do you see then the power of God? That God is so powerful, he's able to take even evil circumstances, things that he did not send, but he's able to take those things and use them for good in our lives, even the sinful choices that we make ourselves. And that's the conclusion that these sailors come to in verse 14, where they pray, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. It's no excuse for us to do whatever we want, but the good news is this morning that God is able to redeem even the worst circumstances of our lives today. So let's talk a little bit about storms this morning. What do storms do in our lives? And I think we see three main categories of things that storms do. Firstly, storms get our attention. The author and former atheist C.S. Lewis put it like this in his little book, The Problem of Pain. He said, Everybody has noticed how hard it is to turn our thoughts to God when everything is going well with us. We have all we want is a terrible saying when all does not include God. We find God an interruption. As St. Augustine says, God wants to give us something, but he cannot because our hands are full. There's no place for him to put it. But pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The storm got Jonah's and the sailor's attention in a way and to a degree that he would never have got had they been watching a beautiful sunset over a calm sea. There's a wonderful line near the end of the book of Job where we read, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Such a lovely line. It's a literal storm in the book of Jonah, but it, Job, rather, but it's also the storm of a man who's lost his children, lost his possessions, lost his home, lost his health. Out of the storm, the Lord speaks to Job. Out of the storm, God speaks to Jonah. And out of the storm, God speaks into our own hearts and lives too. Secondly, storms reveal our foundations where it is that we put our ultimate trust and hope and treasure. And you see that in the lives of the sailors. Verse 5, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. When the storm hits, these men put their confidence and hope in their ability as sailors. And when that fails, they place their hope in their gods, their idols. You may think, how primitive putting your trust and hope in an idol of silver or gold. The fact is, though, that all of us have idols. Ours just have more sophisticated names, Uh, investment portfolios, uh, gap cover, democratic process, peacekeeping forces. But storms also reveal that the things that we trust in cannot ultimately save us. Our ultimate hope and trust and treasure has to be God himself because all lesser troubles are doomed to fail us. Our idols cannot help us when the storm hits. We'll see next week in chapter 2 that Jonah says, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Our idols cannot help us. So storms get our attention, they reveal the places and the people and the things in which our trust lie, but storms also have the potential to change our lives. Storms have the potential to change our lives. They're not these terrible intrusions that push the pause button on our spiritual lives. Storms are opportunities for us to encounter God in new and fresh ways, To quote Tim Keller one last time, (laughs) the Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of our sin, but it does teach that for Christians, every difficulty can help reduce the power of sin over our hearts. Storms can wake us up to truths we would otherwise never see. Storms can develop faith, hope, love, patience, humility, and self-control in us that nothing else can. When storms come into our lives, whether as a consequence of our wrongdoing or not, Christians have the promise that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. Storms have the potential to change our lives. And they change both Jonah and the sailors in this passage. Let's look at that uh, one at a time. The storm changes Jonah. Firstly, we find him confessing his sin in verse 10. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Jonah's beginning to take a deep look inside and acknowledge where he is. In Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, we read He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And so James says to us, you know, confess your sins to one another so so that you can be healed. Jonah's beginning to heal. Secondly, we find Jonah witnessing to these pagan sailors. Although it's quite an ironic statement. Did you you notice it in verse 9? Verse 9 literally reads, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Well, he's certainly not really fearing uh, God at this point. He's attempting to run away from God. But at this point now, Jonah is beginning to remind himself of what he really does believe, of who he is and whose he is. Thirdly, we see Jonah moving towards concern for others Remember last week we said that one of the sure signs that we're running away from God is an indifference to others, as Jonah had. Now we see that Jonah is starting to think about others rather than just himself. Have a look at verse 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah's concern for these men even reaches the point where he's prepared to sacrifice his life for theirs. This command to the sailors to pick him up and throw him overboard, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Bible commentators are divided on how we're to understand Jonah's words here. Some scholars believe that Jonah is repenting. Uh, he's saying to the sailors, in effect, I have sinned against God, I deserve death, throw me overboard. He's finally submitting to God, he's obeying God. Other scholars are saying that Jonah is still rebelling. Uh, he's saying, in effect, I don't want to go and preach to those Ninevites, I'd rather die than go and preach to those dirty, loud, low-down Ninevites, throw me overboard. Uh, he's, still rebe- he's still rebelling. So which one is it? Maybe it's a a bit of both. (laughs) Uh, There may be some mixed motives here in Jonah when he says, throw me overboard. I suspect, though, that, that fourthly and most importantly, we're seeing Jonah literally throwing himself on God. Jonah says, throw me overboard, And he's literally then being thrown into the hands of God. He's placing himself in God's hands. Do with me whatever you want. It reminds me of David's words to the prophet Gad in 1 Chronicles 21. You can go away and read the story yourself. But David is in the storm of disobedience and the consequences of that. And he says in that set of circumstances, I am in deep distress Let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. And in a similar way, I think that Jonah literally launches himself into the hands of God. Now, don't try this at home, at least not literally. You know, not even Jesus was prepared to throw himself from the temple and have God catch him. But I think there's a profound spiritual truth here. This morning, if we're running away from God... The only refuge from God is in God. The only refuge from God is in God, as A.W. Tozer says in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. So storms have the potential to change us. The storm changed Jonah, and it transformed the sailors too. Let's have a look. It's quite interesting, actually, and amusing to track the spiritual journey of the sailors, as it's recorded in this passage. They start off as nominal pagans. But notice something very important about these men. And it is important because one of the main themes of the book of Jonah is evangelism, reaching out to others with the good news about God. And you know, when it comes to us sharing our faith with others, we're often nervous, we're often scared, but it's worth bearing in mind that most people are more ready than we realize. And you can see that in these sailors' lives. They may be pagans, but they have a belief in God, or in this case, gods. They have a God-idea. Not only that, they have some sense of spirituality and spiritual discernment. They realize that there is more going on here than just a storm. And they have a sense of morality, of right and wrong. When Jonah says to them, throw me overboard, they're reluctant to do so. They don't want to be accountable for killing an innocent man. And the chances are that the people in your office or at school or in your neighborhood also have an idea of God and spirituality and morality. God has been speaking into their lives long before we came along. And when we really listen to someone, not just half listening with our answers at the ready, but genuinely interested, uh, genuinely loving another person, willing to listen carefully, we suddenly recognize that we have some things in common. There are some ways in which we can speak to people about our faith. I heard about a man who was chatting with a friend, and this friend said to him, I don't believe in God. And instead of jumping in immediately and giving all of the reasons that you should believe in God, the man said, well, tell me about this God that you don't believe in. And the man said, well, I don't believe in this God who just sits in heaven and doesn't really have anything to do with us and just zaps us every now and again. And this man said, well, I don't believe in that kind of God either. <laughs> Let me tell you about the God that I believe in. And it opened up an opportunity to, to speak together. People are, are more ready than we realize. So the sailors start off being nominal pagans. But when the storm hits, they suddenly become very devout pagans. Indeed, verse 5, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to their own God. There's nothing quite like a storm to get you thinking about spiritual things. Although, sadly, it doesn't always last, that desire, when the storm passes. I heard about a pastor who was also the chaplain at a local hospital. And late one Saturday night, he had a phone call to ask him to come and see a patient who was dying. And so he got up and he got dressed and he went to the hospital And when he walked into the hospital room, there was the man sitting up in bed, and the man was very apologetic, and he said to him, I am so sorry to trouble you. They mixed up my test results with someone else's. They told me that I was dying of cancer, and I thought I needed to make right with God, but it's okay, I'm fine, I'm not dying, and so I don't need you anymore. (laughs) Thirdly, when these men discover that their own spirituality isn't big enough to handle the storm, they cry out to Jonah's God. They seek God. Verse 14. Then they cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. They're crying out to Yahweh, Jonah's God. But at this point, they aren't praying to God out of a genuine relationship with him They're praying to God for what they can get out of him. They want to know, can we kill the prophet or not? Are we going to be held responsible? Can the storm stop? And I think this is very important for us to see because many people don't really want God for his own sake. They want him for what they can get out of him. When someone prays, Lord, I will love you and serve you if, What lies on the other side of that if is what you really worship. I'll love and serve you if I can have a happy marriage, then a happy marriage is what you really worship. I'll love and serve you if only you'll give me this job, then your job is what you really worship. I'll love and serve you if you give me this relationship, well, then that relationship is what you really worship. It's more important to you than God. But fortunately, at the end of their encounter with Jonah, these men moved towards a genuine relationship with God, wanting God not for what he can give them, but simply for himself. Because they pray to God and they make vows to him after the storm has stopped. Have a look at verse 16. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Their vows were no longer, if you stop this storm, we will. The storm had stopped. Their vows are now out of a genuine relationship with God. It's quite ironic, really, isn't it? Jonah is running away from having to preach to horrible, yucky pagans and have them repent. And all that happens is that he ends up preaching to pagans who then repent. It's fascinating to see, though, what makes the difference in these men's lives. What moves them from a I want God for to a genuine relationship with God. It's not the stilling of the storm. It's rather Jonah sacrificing himself on their behalf. That's what makes the difference, watching genuine sacrificial love. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, "'As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth.'" The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Just as Jonah sacrificed himself for those sailors, so the Lord Jesus would sacrifice himself for us. Mark chapter 10, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, a substitutionary sacrifice for many. But Jesus' sacrifice for us was far greater than Jonah's. Jonah only came close to death. Jesus took the full brunt of sin and death for us. Jonah was thrown into the sea because of his own sin. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah says to God, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. But in fact, Jonah didn't know the half of it, and often we don't grasp fully the half of it either a God who is prepared to take on the calamity, a God who's prepared to substitute himself for us, to bear my sin, my shame, my guilt upon himself on a cross. But it's only when we truly grasp something of that love that our lives are completely transformed. As we close... (laughs) Uh, Last week I mentioned the movie Finding Nemo. I don't know how many of you have seen it, but the main storyline is how Marlin, the clownfish, goes in search of his son Nemo and he does everything he can to make his way to Nemo who is trapped inside a fish tank all the way in Sydney, Australia. And at one point in the movie, Nigel the pelican comes to the fish tank and he tells Nemo that his dad is on the way. He tells Nemo all that his dad has already done in trying to get to him. Nigel says, your dad's been fighting the entire ocean looking for you. My father? Really? Yeah, he's traveled hundreds of miles. He's been battling sharks and jellyfish and all sorts of sharks. That can't be him. Are you sure? What's his name? Some sort of sport fish or something. Tuna, uh, trout, marlin. That's it, marlin, the little clownfish from the reef. It's my dad. He took on a shark. I heard he took on three. (laughs) And you may remember that in response to this news, Nemo does something. He tries to block the tank's filter. It's an attempt to escape. It's an attempt to take a step towards his father. This morning we've seen something of the lengths that God takes and has taken to bring us back to himself. The thousands of steps that he has taken towards us in Christ. And I don't know where you find yourself today. Perhaps you're below decks, fast asleep. Maybe you're reaching out to God, but really reaching out for the wrong reason. Maybe you're trying to find help in things that cannot help. We've seen several possibilities. But as we close, may I urge us to take one step towards God. Perhaps it might be the step of confessing your sin to Him or confessing to someone else, asking someone to pray with you. Maybe it would be a fresh concern for others. Maybe a fresh desire to share the gospel with a neighbor or friend. Or maybe it would be simply to take a fresh look at the cross, recognizing that Jesus sacrificed himself for us and in return having us abandon ourselves to him, to find refuge in him, forsake everything else and trust him even in the storm.